Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Sunday, August 18th. The Clemson Tigers are T-minus 10 days until they kick off the 2019 football season on Thursday night in Death Valley against Georgia Tech, and the life is good. Ben and Cody here with you today to talk about some of the storylines as August camp wraps up and preparation begins for the Georgia Tech game. Cody, I'd ask you how your weekend went, but I know I was there for all of it. Um, it all started off on Thursday night as you proposed to your beautiful fiancé. Um, I was the only other one in attendance for that. And then the three of us uh, went up this weekend to a beer festival up north. How did it feel being the third wheel? Yeah, well, it's really weird, Ben, that you would consider me the third wheel. But you know what? Great to be engaged. Got it out of the way before football season. Um, that, was, that was strategic because I wanted to uh, have all things ready so I can sit down and watch a lot of college football and uh, check it off the list. Yeah, so I think given your dating history, we all think that you, you're extremely lucky to have Anessa in your life. Um, and I think nobody, uh, not even you, would argue the fact that you're probably marrying up here. For sure. Punching above my weight class, for sure. Yeah. Outkicking well, the coverage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All those sports metaphors. Um, so anyways, here we are coming into the 2019 football season. Um, you know, you're reading all the articles coming out of camp. A lot of them start to beat a dead horse. There's not the only really big unknown this year is really on the defensive side of the ball. We know we've got a ton of talent, but we've got a lot of unproven guys. But other than that, there's no really big storylines. The offense is a known commodity, of course, like we mentioned with Trevor Lawrence, um, and is poised to be one of the best in college football this year. I mentioned in the last episode, possibly the greatest offense Clemson has ever seen. But let's turn our attention to the defense here and pick up on that conversation we had last time uh, in our last episode, Cody. Um, this defense as a whole, again, returns a lot of really talented guys, some of which who saw a lot of significant experience last year in games uh, due to the fact of Clemson running second team and 13 guys out there early on with uh, after accumulating such big leads. I'm not so sure we see as much substitutions this year. I think the frontline guys may stay in there a bit longer to – to get some better experience, but what's your overall take, um, bird's eye view of this defense? Well, so far, what we could take is from the coaches, and they've been more candid. and And I would say the last handful of years, I think the better we've we've gotten, uh, the more we uh, went up the ladder a little bit, so to speak. They've been more candid, and it started with like Hunter Renfro back in 2015. Like, so I actually take what they say. I don't take it with a grain of salt. I, I take it as as true. So I think there is a bit of concern with. Uh, finding the leadership across the defense with guys pushing certain guys, Xavier Thomas being one of them who has to be great, I think, in order for this this defense to hit their ceiling. Um, but all in all, I'd say it, it's going to be a good defense. Um, you talked about substitutions. I'm, I'm not so sure that they're going to – I think they're going to employ the rotations as, as they have in the last several years. And I think it's going to be – I think what you're going to see midseason, early season, it's going to be – a I hate to say this, probably one of the worst defenses we've seen at this point in the season under Venables, probably since dating back to 2013, but I think it'll get better. I think once they have all their, their goods, their ones, some twos on the, on the, on the field against a, uh, you know, a, a playoff team, then I think it's going to look better. But right now, just judging by what the coaches say, I don't think it's going to quite stack up from what I can tell to, to 15 or 16 and certainly not 17 or 18. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of growing pains for sure, and I don't think anybody can expect this defense to be as good as the the, the great defenses Clemson, Clemson has had over the last several years. But it's not uh, due to lack of talent, and you could argue that the talent level uh, in now coming in on this defense with the guys we have coming in this year, guys, we've, uh, the young guys from last year, 
could be some of the most talented and have the highest ceiling of, of defenses um, in, in recent Clemson past. But what they don't have is that experience. And talent alone is not going to get you there. So there are going to be some bumps in the road. Uh, there will be a learning curve. But I think all in all, as you see the season progress, I totally agree with you. I think you're going to see them get better and better. Um, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand with the scam- schedule conversation that we'll have later. But it really does benefit Clemson to have such a weak schedule. That being said, uh, two of our hardest games this year are, are right there at the beginning uh, versus sex- Texas A&M at home and at Syracuse. Yeah, the exception would be that those two, the, the second and third game, AM and and Syracuse, where they might have to limit rotations because the coaches ha- are definitely taking the long view, uh, the long approach, thinking these are the two games where we could stumble, and, and they and they could because AM is going to be good, and Syracuse I think will be good, and albeit without Eric Dungy this year, so yeah, and you know he was very volatile as a passer, so you, he could take you to the promised land, and like they did against Clemson in seventeen, but he could also lose you games. So I think they they feel a little bit more I don't say confident in the upside, but I think they feel pretty good with who they have under center, and I I'm blanking on his name, but more uh, more solid, um, more stable, so. Anyhow, I don't think you will see as many rotations, but I think you're going to see quickly see how good the defensive line was from, from I would say, what, 16 to 17, really from 15 to, to, to 18, because you're going to see a substantial drop-off, and then there'll be kind of this cascading effect where linebackers are going to uh, probably, they're going to have more options to make great plays, but they're also going to be in positions where, I want to say, uh, where you'll see some limitations, we'll say. Tommy DeVito, that's the Syracuse Yeah, Tommy DeVito. Yeah, I think overall the defense is going to have to play more consistently this year throughout all levels at the same time. You're not going to have a dominant defensive line that can really cover things up for you. Uh, we'll have one dominant quarter, cornerback. We'll see what uh, uh, Darren K- Kendrick brings to the table. The safeties are, you know, you've got your first and second string guys back from that uh, from last year, so you, at least you have that safety valve on the back end of the defense. But I think between the defensive line and the linebackers, uh, you're going to want to see some consistency this year, but also one's going to have to pick the other up. And I, I mentioned last episode, I think a lot of it's going to fall on the linebackers to clean up some of the mess in the run game specifically. Um, but they're also have to do their part in pass coverage as well, because I'm not so sure that we see our defensive ends this year drop back into coverage as month, much, at least not in the early on. Um, as much as we saw Farrell and Bryant do last year. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't know if you can be quite as as creative. And, and you, you, yeah, you don't have the same. Like, I think people, I think they appreciated Cleveland Farrell, but like that guy, he graded out almost every game extremely high. And, and Bryant wasn't too far behind him. So what that means on a down-to-down, possession-by-possession basis, he was like consistently good. I think with Thomas, you're going to see some high points, but you're also going to see, and I would include Foster and, and Rudolph in this, you're going to see them having trouble setting the edge at times. You're going to see them over-pursuing. Um, I think with, with Thomas, you'll see just unbelievable first step, but can he be consistent? K.J. Henry, he's having some trouble um, being kind of that that dual, uh, what would you say, that, that multifaceted defensive end that can set the edge and get after the passer. Um, so... I think there's some there's some yeah less creativity from Venables and then and then linebackers are not going to be kept as clean uh, just up the middle just not going to be as much like Skalski is going to have a chance to have a great year and he, so will Simmons. Skalski could have become a starter last year. That's how talented he is. So again, there is a lot of talent there. It's just going to take some time for everybody to learn the system and know their responsibilities and know how to stay home. I think that's one of the biggest things with with young players, as talented as they may be, staying home, sticking with their assignments is sometimes uh, the toughest part. And I, again, I mentioned it last episode. It's actually kind of a blessing in disguise that Paul Johnson left Georgia Tech because we're not having to face a triple option here in the first game because we have a lot of guys in the defense that don't have a lot of experience against that triple option. Yeah, and I, and I think it just gets them ready for a like the you play the triple option against Wofford and it helps you against Georgia Tech. Aside from that, it really doesn't help you or say much about your defense. Aside that, aside from the fact that you can defend the triple option, which they did ex- extremely well. Uh, when you have guys like Wilkins and and Dex and and Dorian O'Daniel as a strong side linebacker, like yeah, but so yeah, it doesn't really help you. But I, uh, it doesn't. It's good not to face the triple option, but it's good, and it's even better that it's going to be a. It's going to look like an offense that they will face down the road. So you know, a lot of the conversation is focused on the defensive ends, but I really want to talk about the tackles. You're obviously you're replacing those guys inside. 
you have somewhat known commodities in Jordan Williams and Niles Pinkney, but again, they're a bit unproven. I think uh, having Tyler Davis there coming in as a true freshman and having so much of an impact to where they think he could be pushing for starter minutes as we get on into the season, I think that is a huge boost for this defense because behind him, you really start to lose depth. Yeah, I mean, you said known commodities with Pinckney and, and Williams. and Relatively speaking to who, right. whom else we have on the defense, but it's not like... More like experienced commodities, and what yeah. they're known for is, is so far that what we've seen is a lot, a lot of injuries, uh, at least up to this point through the, uh, from spring ball to the fall camp. So, And I don't usually like to talk about injuries because that could happen anywhere for any team, and then you know, you're playing with some guys that are definitely unproven. But this is a legitimate concern. Xavier Kelly is flashed a little bit it's really tough to get a gauge from him and then yeah Tyler Davis has been a godsend thank thank God we're able to pull him pry him from Florida State Um, but then I mean I I don't know who if you're talking about these freshmen that are very unproven not just at Clemson but in the game of football because they haven't played that long then I uh, it's not looking so so good there but I think that's the probably of of all the defense and maybe the just the whole squad uh, outside of tight ends it's it's the biggest question mark yeah, because behind <clears throat> those two guys that I mentioned, and then also Tyler Davis, you have Darnell Jeffries, who is a sophomore this year, and he stands to get significant playing time. But there is a big drop-off after those guys in the two deep. Um, Ruka Roro, did nice. I say that right? Sure. Um, close enough. Uh, and Edinosa Rubin, two young guys coming in this year. Only time will tell if they avoid a red shirt, but you can't plan on getting significant minutes and snaps from them this year so a little bit thin across that defensive front defensive end is a little bit more loaded though yeah more loaded more proven I, I, I think with uh Foster and Rudolph higher floor maybe not the same ceiling as Cleveland Farrell or, or Xavier Thomas but um more proven more depth defensive tackle yeah they're gonna have to I think there will be some some uh adjustments in scheme just to protect the a, a gap b gap um whether that's bringing down a, a strong side safety, I don't know. Venables will figure it out. Um, but that that does that does leave you potentially exposed in other areas. And where where does this matter? Maybe against AM, maybe against Syracuse, certainly against any playoff team. So moving on for the defensive line, we, we mentioned the linebackers a little bit. Uh, replacing uh, both the Will and the Mike linebacker position this year, um, not only do you lose Kendall Joseph, Trey Lamar, Shaq Smith's gone, the Davis twins are gone. So you're putting guys in who you're, whom you're going to have to trust, and they're looking for frontline starters who can do that. Obviously, at the Sam Nickel position, you got Isaiah Simmons. Uh, you got Mike Jones, who looks like he might be playing that position uh, a little bit. Going back to the Mike and the Will linebackers, you got Skalski, you got Chad Smith, um, high upside guys. You haven't seen them play a ton. Behind them, uh, Balen Spector, Jake Venables. But where are you going after that? I mean, I guess you're looking at like a Avante Bentley or a Keith McGuire. It's it, it's really it's really uncertain. And what's interesting is I, I really did think Jake Venables, I thought he was going to have a chance to shine. He's been hurt, um, I, and I, I don't know that he'll be his upside is is you know it's it's it might not be there with Skalski's for example, but I thought he has a chance to make an early impact because of having that right pedigree and being just a high floor, solid, fundamentally sound kind of contributor. So. If he can stay healthy, I, I feel like you, you know what you're going to get, and that's that's a, that's a lot to say for a redshirt freshman. But I, I feel pretty good about him. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I never feel good about, and I, I just for a linebacker, it's always show it to me before I can say anything. And and you know maybe Venables is the exception, but Vontae Bentley and Keith McGuire, it's like, yeah, who knows, man. Well, so I think the big question marks is going to be on the first and second levels of the defense this year in the run game. Fortunately, you do have some experienced safeties who can come up and run support. Um, Flipping over to uh, the passing game and pass defense, A.J. Terrell coming back, obviously took took that pick back in the opening drive of the game to get Clemson set off of the right for the national championship game. We know what we have with him. He's going to be a lockdown corner. Darren Kendrick has been injured in practice lately. He's got the talent necessary, obviously, because he took over the first team uh, snaps, uh, and that resulted in a guy like Kyler McMichael leaving. But he can really use some time, at least getting to learn more of the system. So there is a little bit of concern there. But again, another drop-off at the cornerback position, which leaves me scratching my head why a guy like McMichael leaves. You got Andrew Booth coming in, who is expected to play with the talent that he has this year, but still has to learn the system. Uh, you got guys like... Um, Lee Anthony Williams, 
out there, guys with experience, Mario Goodrich, but they haven't really shown a lot on the field yet. So I think you see your corners, at least definitely A.J. Terrell probably playing upwards of 800 or more snaps this year. Darren Kendrick, we'll see how that pans out. Do you see any of these other guys coming in and, and making huge impact? Well, I, I think the top-line corners, if Kendrick is what they say he is, then that's that's maybe our best set of corners that we've had. I mean, can you think of anyone, at least in the Venables era, that's well between, between better? A.J. Terrell and Trayvon Mullen last year was pretty damn good. True, and I, and I kind of expect Terrell to take another step. He's in his money year, and then if Kendrick was good enough in like a couple weeks of fall camp to supplant McMichael and Goodrich, I feel pretty good that he's he's not too far behind. The reason it could be better than say last year is because there was very little depth. There was Mark Fields, um, Mario Goodrich was playing. Even Mark a, Fields was hurt most of the time. Right, Goodrich was playing as a true freshman. Kyler McMichael was playing a little. Um, I, I think. Goodrich will take a step. He's typically like he's a guy, you know, five years ago, if he's our first man up, we're pretty excited about that. So I think we we're relative like wealth, right? Like we're pretty wealthy in that first string. And then if there is a drop off, it's just because that's how good those first teamers could be. I'm not so concerned about it. It would have been nice to have McMichael just for experience, but, you know, give Booth five, six games. And I'm, I'm pretty confident he'll be jacking for that starting position next year. Not to mention Sheridan, Sheridan, Sheridan Jones. Jones, right? Yeah, he's another freshman coming in. I don't know. It's just hard to ex- uh, to know what you can expect out of a true freshman cornerback. Uh, uh, Mackenzie Alexander was one of those guys that started and played all three years of his career, and you know he was good from the get go. He did and, redshirt his and, freshman year. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, the three years following that that he did play, um, you, you didn't hear his name called a lot. Part of that's because he never got an interception, but uh, <laughs> he did his job, right? Um, but you don't see a lot of freshmen coming in that could do that. Yeah, it's not, not quite as difficult as the linebacker position, but it's it, it's it's rare. I think I, I really do think Booth is the exception because he's he's that athletic. He has that great of instincts for him. It's more about learning the system. That'll take some time, but he does have a little bit larger of a, uh, of a margin for error because of his ability and his athleticism. Yeah, and then it's safety. Um, not much need to talk about them. I, I, I think from the starters and the, and the second string guys and Nolan Turner, Turner and Denzel Johnson, you just want to look for them to improve on their play from last year. There was a lot of people worried not just about Johnson and Turner heading in last year, but there was people still wondering if Tanner Muse was going to turn out to be a, a top-notch safety. He had a great year last year. He got better as the season went along and look for him to do the same coming into this year. So I think between Muse and Wallace – and then told Turner and Johnson, you feel great about your two deep at safety. Yeah, well, all right. Let me let me present the argument against that that argument. It seems like a foregone conclusion after the Alabama game and the Notre Dame game, for that matter. Safety is just going to be solid through and through. We've got four guys that we feel good with now. They're just going to be an A, you know, A minus or higher every game. And I don't. I mean, this is the same safety boot, uh, group that gave up how many yards to Jake Bentley. Um, same for A and M when when things broke down guys were getting open and hey it wasn't really their fault but hey they're gonna things are gonna break down a little bit more there's not gonna be as much protection from the defensive line um, maybe Thomas can be a great pass rusher but you can't be so sure of it so right and the cornerbacks for that matter are gonna have to hold their coverage a bit longer this year and that puts more pressure on the safeties um, in case they do give up that coverage there's not gonna be as much pressure uh, we're not gonna be getting as much pressure on the on the opposing quarterback this year I would not anticipate again you have Thomas but you know, you don't have those those two interior defensive linemen and Wilkins and Lawrence, and it's just not going to be the same. It doesn't mean they're not going to be really good, but it's not going to uh, reach the level of greatness as last year. So I think the responsibility is going to have to spread out uh, throughout the entire defense to help, you know, o- to overcome that lack of experience. For sure. Uh, great way. Yeah, a great way of putting it. It's got to be kind of a, more of a decentralized uh, everyone's got to contribute equally. And if there's anything, any weak links, uh, it'll, it'll kind of start crumbling in that direction. And nothing, again, not, that was the argument against the safeties. Personally, I do think they'll be a solid unit, but to think that they're, they're not going to have their weak moments or their spots where they, they blow some coverage, they're out of position. Um, a few busts here and there, that's pretty typical with any college secondary, but I, I don't see them as like all world, uh, an all-world group just yet we'll see over under i'm gonna put you on the spot here um 
10.5, for the, the, the final defensive rankings for this defense this year. So I, I actually, I was thinking about this. I, I think it, I think it's going to be right at 10. Um, I think it'll be a little bit under, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're, you know, in that top 15 bunch. Uh, and that's in the, one, one caveat there. That's not taken into account. Uh, that or that is taken into account the way that we will liberally substitute players and the the product again midseason and who who we trot out against Georgia Tech will not be who we would trot out against Alabama. Yeah, and I think the other thing to consider too this year is we're going to be scoring in bunches and we're going to be scoring quickly this year, and that's going to put the defense on the field. Um, you know, it just they're going to be out there for a higher rate even more than last season. I we're going to see a more well-oiled machine on offense if that's even possible it certainly is but these guys are going to score with ease over a lot of these teams that we're playing so the defense is going to be on the field and that's going to put pressure on them yeah it'll be venable's toughest year probably since um wow say now 15 and 16 were hard because he was replacing eight starters both years he just had so much kind of already proven talent in those two years that it's, it's a little different but there was also guys that kind of came out of nowhere um, Kevin Dodd, yeah, Cordera Tankersley. I won't say he came out of nowhere, but yeah, several guys just kind of stepped up, uh, and you didn't see like Shaq Lawson was good, but he ended up just being great. He went from backup to being an All American. So, can guys make that same leap? I I don't know. I I, I think you have to err on the side of a little bit more caution. So I say top ten would be would be pretty pretty solid. I don't see top five this year. Yeah, I don't either. Um, you're just. You got to pay respect to the guys who have left. You, I think you've just lost too much. But again, I still think they're going to be a really good defense. I would anticipate probably giving up an extra touchdown a game this year. Or more. Or more. But it's going to be fine. He's got yeah. great offense. And, so, and I'm not saying it's going to be Big 12 style football if we have to play that brand and we have the right guys on, on the offense to do it. But I mean, you know, college football coaches, are, they're getting good. They're, they're, they've improved. Uh, schematically to adjust to some, some of Venables, what Venables likes to do. And that's why, you know, A&M had such a good time of it. South Carolina had a good game against us. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be moment, uh, at least one or two moments this season where the fans are going to be scratching their head and they're thinking, what the heck's going on with the defense? Like, it's just, it's unavoidable, I think, at this point. And then Trevor Lawrence will come on the field and all will be forgotten. So before we transition to that, we've always got a bunch of new listeners this time of year heading into a new season. So I want to remind everybody, uh, we encourage interaction. You can email us, clemsonpodcasts at gmail.com. You can also interact with us at Clemson Podcasts on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have time, please don't hesitate to go over and leave us a good iTunes review. Um, you can email us if you have a gripe. Uh, and we encourage only praise on, on the iTunes reviews, if you would be so kind. And as a reminder, be sure to subscribe to us on whichever podcast app you're using to listen to us right now. That just ensures that um, as soon as our episodes are published, they get pushed right to your phone so you're aware right away. With that, let's turn our attention to Trevor Lawrence. Cody, it's hard to think that Trevor Lawrence can improve on what we saw out of him last year. He goes into this, this season as... Uh, a leading Heisman contender and the best shot for Clemson to have a Heisman winner since CJ Spiller. Of course, you got to throw Travis Etienne in that group this year as well. But, you know, to say, to, to think Trevor Lawrence can improve is just, you know, ignorant because there's always room for improvement. There's a lot of things that he's learned from last year. You saw his progressions throughout the season. He got better. And I think with another offseason, another uh, spring practice, another August camp, that you're going to see him elevate this game in many ways this year. Where do you think those areas are? Um, they, you may have to dig in a little bit, and it may get granular kind of in the, in the details of it just because he is so polished in, in all the different areas of the game. But where do you see those uh, possible areas of improvement? Well, people forget. I think there's a little bit of recency bias with Trevor Lawrence because what game do you remember? When you, when you think of Trevor Lawrence right now, you think about him throwing to Justin Ross and T. Higgins down the sideline against Bama and looking you know, darn near flawless against Bama, and you're like, wow, can he get any better from what he was against Bama and Notre Dame? And it's like, maybe, marginally. I'll put, I'll put it this way. If he played like that in every game from here on out, he'll win every game he plays. But no, I understand what you're saying, because prior to that, um, really prior to 
the Notre Dame game because I think he performed obviously really well in both of those games. But throughout the season, early on, there were some hiccups. Against Syracuse, can he get better against what he was against Syracuse? He can stay healthy. Right. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. We don't know what he is yet. I think, it's, I think it's a little foolish and naive to say what he is is what he was against Bama. I think that was the culmination of really great coaching, um, not, not uh, showing your hand on offense with like four receiver sets, using Ross and Higgins along, uh, alongside one another. I think the offensive line having their best game in probably a decade. I mean, seriously, that's how good the offensive line was that day. So, anyhow, where, where's he, where's his starting point? I don't really know. I don't. I don't think any Clemson fan knows. But if it's if it's who he was mid year, yeah, he can go a long way because I think where he was lacking was, um, I, I think just kind of sniffing out pressure. Things were coming at at times too quickly for him. He's so poised, and that's generally a good thing. But uh, at times, you have to be a little bit more responsive. Uh, I think self preservation. I think he'll get better at that. But he's got to he's got to really start thinking about not making getting an extra three yards at the cost of three games or, you know, God knows. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things for him to improve on. Yeah. And even though he returns most of his offensive line this year, you got to remember Mitch Hyatt's not going to be over there protecting that blind side. So we've heard a lot of good things about Carmen here leading up into the season, but we're going to have to see that play out on the field. Um, so again, feeling that pressure and he might be experiencing a little bit more this year. College uh, coaches have tape. A lot more tape on him this year and then have had a long time over the summer to analyze. And if they were smart um, and you had one quarterback to pick out of college football to analyze, if you want to try to win a national championship, you look at Trevor Lawrence because there's a good chance you're going to be facing him again this year. I think one of the po- I mean, one of the positive things you look at is he only had four interceptions last year, which was absolutely phenomenal to go with 32 Ds, uh, 30 touchdowns. For a true freshman, I'll read off a couple of ranks here. He was ninth in total QBR, 11th in passing efficiency rating, and 20th in completion, completion percentage. So right there, that last one is what I want to run with here. He had a 65.2% completion percentage last year. I would like to see that improve up more towards 70. That's that's lofty a lofty goal. Uh, get, just given some of the 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 long longer passes he'll make, um, like the really stretch the field and, and naturally your your completion percentage will go down think I, of you have to remember who he's throwing to though that helps he'll he'll gain a few that no other like, like ross and, and higgins and maybe the guy will, will make a few catches that no others will make so you know fair point um but yeah I, I think and by the way my argument for who he was again at his low moments is not to say he didn't have a phenomenal like just made throws across the field especially that just not many college quarterbacks can make not not many NFL quarterbacks can make so he did things at such a high level and do I think he he will look more like the Alabama version like yeah I, I do just because there's just something to be said for a full offseason weight room which he needed and and having Ross and Higgins and apparently this freak show uh Joseph Nagata so yeah and all the other talents um we're going to be running out three six four wide receivers there to start off the season uh, from the two five and nine man spots, um, yeah, you mentioned the the throws that he was able to make last year. That is, you don't see a lot of senior quarterbacks or even NFL quarterbacks being able to th- throw across his body, running to his left on the run, um, like you saw from. So just the the mechanics and everything like that are absolutely amazing. There's you know they'll tweak stuff here and there, but he just has the natural throwing ability that it's just a thing of beauty to watch. Um, Eight point three yards of attempt. Uh, I think is another number that you might see go up this year. Um, I think we'll be ch- taking more chances deep, just given the uh, the bodies we have out there on the field. But I think all in all, when you take the stats aside, I think it's the leadership is that is the thing that the coaches are going to be looking for this year. How does he step up that part of his game? Yeah, I mean, and he's a guy. He's not very vocal. He's more poised, calm demeanor. He, he was never going to just like grab guys and yell at them or anything like that. And there's different ways to lead. Like we have this. A lot of times we think of this traditional you know, chatterbox uh, leader, and that's not always the case. So he can lead by example. ETN's a pretty quiet guy, but he can lead by example. Um, I, think, I think it's more um, w- when things are going against you, wh- what does he do then? Can he be like the Deshaun Watson after, after you know, an interception and bounce right back? Because Deshaun Watson had a very short, short-term memory. Lawrence seems to have that same type of mindset. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it between the ears. And Deshaun Watson wasn't a very vocal person, right? Um, but by the but by the end of his time there, he was a leader of that team. So you don't have to be the loudest guy on the field to be a leader. But I know that's one area that the coaches are looking for him to improve uh, heading into this year. 
Um, another thing that I'm interested to see is how successful Clemson is on converting uh, third and longs this year. You're losing Hunter Renfro. That's big. Uh, we're hearing a lot of good things about DeAndre Overton uh, moving into the slot position this year. He's got a great catch radius. So did Hunter Renfro. But technically speaking, Overton should be larger, giving his uh, size and wingspan advantage. But I think that's something that I'll, I'll be curious to, to watch this year and, and see if we go to the slot as much or if we do um, open it up down the field with some of these other guys. Yeah, it, it, it will be interesting. And it, one thing I think, too, is with the <laughs> – just naturally, the the dynamics of the offensive line, Mitch Hyatt's not there. I think Jack Jackson Carmen will be a good player. Will he be a great player? Is he going to be 100% reliable? That that'll dictate how much I think we'll throw. Well, we'll say this. I think there's going to be a heavy, heavy reliance on uh, the run game. Not just because you have a couple of really good running backs, but that's just Gage Stravinka, John Simpson, and. And most likely Pollard will, will make up maybe the best interior offensive line Clemson's had. Uh, and they've, they've all played together long enough to where it gives me confidence that I think that, that chemistry will be there. So you've got to go to the run game. Tony Elliott loves, loves, I mean, that's his, that's his group. He loves establishing the run. Does that come at the expense of a few downfield passes to some of these stud receivers? I think so. I think that's, that's how we want to play it. So do you think teams will focus on stopping the pass this year against us or loading the box against the run? I think it's going to be uh, establish the run to create the pass and not the other way around. As much as we want to think it'll just be easy to throw it up, jump ball to Higgins and let him catch it. But what do you think opposing defenses are going to focus in on? I think, they're, I think they'll definitely try to stop the run. I think we'll, and if they don't, if they start out uh, with only six men in the box, I think they're going to, I think ETN and the offensive line is just going to terrorize them to the, to the fact. And then once they do pull a guy in and, and go uh, single coverage on the outside, that's when you attack deep. Yeah. And in the run game, an advantage we're going to have this year again is the big bodies of uh, T Higgins, Overton and Justin Ross blocking downfield. Uh, those three guys are not afraid uh, to get dirty blocking downfield and they're going to be going up against, you know, five ten. Uh, 5'11", 6 foot, 6 foot 1, maybe cornerbacks throughout the year, and they're going to outweigh them by 20 to 30 pounds. Yeah, that was we talked about this over the weekend, and that was something that was kind of lost, uh, a narrative that didn't get as much run as maybe it should have, and the and the difference between 17s blocking where you had Ray Ray, Dion, and and Hunter Renfro as your starting uh, trio of, of wide receivers. All of a sudden you have Renfro, who, you know, he certainly committed himself to the weight room and blocking, and then you have... Travion Thompson, DeAndre Overton, T. Higgins, who who gained muscle, and Justin Ross, who's just a bad man. That makes such a big difference in the uh, in terms of getting to the corner, allowing uh, Travis Etienne to do his thing, and with those edge those edge blocks. Do you think uh, Dabo calls a play for Trevor Lawrence to throw one to Will Sweeney this year? Yes. Touchdown in the end zone. It's probably be a touchdown. probably in a big game too. Just yeah. to, just to irk a few Clemson fans. Yeah, do it against South Carolina. Yeah, sure. I'd love to see that. Um. Yeah, uh, you, you expect nothing but the greatest uh, this year heading into the season for Trevor Lawrence. I, I think you're right. Just judging by what we saw last year, <laughs> I don't think we can see the same progression from game one to a national championship game as we saw last year from Trevor. And if we do, God help everybody else in the college football world because they're not going to be able to stand a chance. But you're going to see a better player this year. And that's saying a lot for a guy who many cons uh, thought he could go into the NFL draft and be the number one pick coming out of his freshman year. Yeah, I, I think, I think he's gonna he's gonna do some things that we haven't seen at Clemson uh, this season, and that's and that's saying a lot because look at the guy that he's following. He's gonna make a lot of defenses look silly. So that wraps it up for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, let's talk a little bit now. I'll go into a little further detail about those wide receivers. So we've already mentioned Higgins, Ross, Nagata, Frank Latson is another true freshman coming in that should have a big impact this year, and we expect so given his talent. He's banged up a little bit, actually looking like now he may miss the Georgia Tech game, but overall I think we see uh, we see him back sooner than later. Amari Rogers, we expect him back sometime late September or October. Um, and, and we mentioned Overton, uh, Cornell Powell, TJ Chase, guys with experience. Uh, they're going to be on the field this year. When you take a step back and look, this is probably going – we'll look back and think that this is probably the most talent on one team that Clemson has ever had at wide receiver. I'm going to just go ahead and say right now that it is uh, between Higgins, Ross, and Nagata. 
Um, but let's put that in perspective. That got us thinking about the, the wide receivers here in recent history. Clemson has so many wide receivers in the NFL right now. Um, 11 by my count, uh, no, 10 by my count. We'll see if uh, Martavis Bryant makes it back onto the field. He's still serving a suspension right now. But Cody, let's start, start with our top, twi- uh, top five and uh, wrap that up with comparing them to what we have now and where we think it may shake out after all said and done. So give me your top five wide receivers, Clemson history in the Dabo era. Yeah, so we did this last year a little bit. We talked to Quacking Tiger, and and it was the whole Nuke and Sammy one or two. And and let me let me make this very clear this year because there was some confusion last year. This rank of top five is that we're giving you right now is guys who have graduated. Well, I... I, t- I want to start there. Fair enough, because... But here's the thing. Some guys will get into, get into the top five potentially before they graduate, and I have to give them that at least... And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about where those guys compare, where we think they'll end up. But for right now. Sure. Okay, sure. And, and your guy, Hunter Renfro, joined the group. So who I had uh, this time last season, I believe it was it was Sammy, Nuke, in that order, Mike Williams. Um, wow, I'm, I'm blanking on my on my four. Actually, I had Hunter Renfro in, which he didn't like. Um, I, but I had then at number five, Artavis Scott. It's not that I didn't like Hunter Renfro being in there. That was not what we were talking about. We were talking about he wasn't guys. graduated. You didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically talking about that topic. But now he's in this year. So I've got the same top five as you, but in a different order. I've swapped uh, Sammy and Nuke. I just think overall Nuke meant more to the program. He had the big fourth and sixteen catch. He was the most dependable, one of the most dependable wide receivers that I can remember, aside from Hunter Renfro. Uh, to put on the Clemson jersey. I do have Sammy Watkins number two. Their numbers are actually very comparable. I think Sammy has about 400 more receiving yards, 30 or so more receptions. Same amount of TDs for the both of them. Uh, Sammy was more of a threat in the run game. Um, but all in all, I still take New Coppins number one. I have Mike Williams at three. Um, then I have Artavis Scott at four ahead of Hunter Renfro. Artavis Scott had a really good career. His numbers are better than Hunter Renfro. Um, and then Renfro at five, not the flashiest of numbers, but I think of the how clutch he was, what he meant to the team, and just his uh, career spanning across four national championship or three national championship games, four playoff appearances, and two national championships. That puts him right up there for me. So, and then, and then the guys up next in the next tier, um, both current and and former players. It's a long, long list, and you, there could be a lot of arguments about who should be at five right now, but. It's guys like uh, Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys, um, D- even Deion Kane. Who am I missing here? Jacoby Ford, Sharon Peak, Jaron Brown, Ray Ray McLeod. And then you're taking the current guys. T. Higgins is right there to me, nipping at the heels of, of Artavis Scott or and even Hunter Renfro. He could be there by the end of the year. Same for Justin Ross. What a trajectory as a, just a true freshman. So – that's it's very exciting that we get to start talking about this, and I think it's important to put just how good these guys are in historical perspective, because not only are they doing great things in the NFL, but like just look at what Ross and Higgins did in the playoff, and like bask in that for a second. It's it's um it, it is program peakness. It just hasn't ever been that good, and even the guys at one and two, Nuke and Sammy or Sammy Nuke, they weren't able to do quite the same on on that big of a stage. Well, yeah, they didn't have the opportunity. Um, these guys now are playing with a more complete team across the board, more talented team. You know, ESPN came out with a, a wide receiver U top 10 ranking several weeks ago. A lot of people um, think it was absurd that Clemson was not in there. But when you look at the the metrics or the parameters they were going by, it was over like the last 20-year span and more how they were doing in the NFL. When you think of it in that uh, vein, I mean, New Hopkins, really the only standout so far in the NFL for Clemson. Sammy Watkins hasn't, I mean, he's had a decent career, but he hasn't been a game changer for anybody. He gets hurt a lot. Um, he's not, you know, the highest value in fantasy rankings. Which, by the way, I truly, truly believe this. There, When people insert Nuke ahead of Sammy, it's, it's a revisionist history because they've been watching Sunday football the last five years, and they forgot how good Sammy was. And even by Nuke's own admission, he wasn't the best receiver when he was at Clemson because Sammy was the best receiver, which it still blows my mind there's been this much revisionist history and, and who was the better receiver. It was Sammy, and it really wasn't even close um, from 2011 to 2013. Well, I'll say this. I was saying when Nuke came out of college that I thought he was going to be a better NFL receiver than Sammy Watkins. So I was on the Nuke bandwagon early on. I think what probably rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way is uh, Nuke's uh, uh, junior year. 
when Sammy was having his his troubles there at the beginning of the season, getting in trouble. Um, I just didn't feel kind of the buy-in from him. And then Nuke stepped up, and he was a phenomenal wide receiver for us that that year, and that uh, reflected itself in his in his draft status. Um, so yeah, I can hear your argument of uh, the, the revisionist history, but I, I think coming from my side, I don't think that is in my case because I've been high on him. Uh, for quite some time, but in, in, but it is just to be clear, your performance at Clemson. It is not yeah, that's, anything you did afterwards. That's what we're going off of. And had Sammy Watkins had ten more touchdowns or a thousand more yards than Nuke, but the fact that they were so similar, I'm still giving the nod to Nuke. And then again, this is just my opinion. I know this is easily arguable. Yeah, and it's great. It's great to argue too. And I mean, you know, one of the defenses of Nuke is fourth and sixteen, and how big that was. And I'm like, sure, I cannot deny that it was such yeah, a pivotal moment because that wasn't really Taj Boyd's throw. It was Nuke's <laughs> adjustment and coming back to the ball and scooping that thing off the turf. Um, but yeah, going back to the East Pan poll, uh, people get their panties in a wad because Clemson wasn't in there. But again, when you look at the parameters, um, Clemson players just haven't worked out that that well in the NFL yet. Or there's a lot of guys right now still carving out a name for themselves. At the end of the day, Mike Williams is, is going to probably have a really good NFL career. Adam Humphreys has been solid. Um, he's a starter this far in his t- uh, career. Pete and John Brown done playing time. Deion Kane's doing really well with the Colts right now. Um, and, and the book's not fully written on Sammy. He's still young, and he's playing with maybe the best young quarterback in the NFL in Kansas City. So there's a chance that he can have a nice three, four-year run here and solidify himself as a is a is a really good pro player. Yeah, and I think after this next round of wide receivers start to come in, Higgins, Ross, Nagata, Lats, and even Amari Rogers, that then you're going to see Clemson climb in that wide receiver you uh, list because these guys, Higgins, Ross, uh, Higgins and Ross, um, and even Amari Rogers, those guys are NFL players. I think well, from what we've seen so far, they will play in the NFL. Everything we're hearing about Nagata, he will play in the NFL. We'll have to see it. Um, but and then Lanson, ton of talent. So we're just going to keep on pumping these guys out. And I think in probably about five years, four or five years, you're going to look at the landscape of the wide receivers in the NFL, and you're going to see a lot of familiar faces. I think so. And it, it looked like that ESPN poll was really prioritizing high standout, like all pro type receivers, which we don't have a ton of those. There's Nuke, and that's about it. But I, th- I think there's a couple guys that are, that are suiting up for Clemson right now that will be in that conversation. And to that end... I, I think it's interesting to look at what what it could look what that pecking order yep. maybe your your Mount Rushmore your top five what might what it might look like after this year right and it's hard not to see T Higgins getting in there maybe he supplants Renfro if he ha- if he's as good as what I think he can be which is like best receiver in uh, in the country area especially and with the right guy passing to him and Trevor Lawrence I, I don't see him not maybe landing in the three or two spot and heck maybe getting up with Sammy or nuke in that conversation. He's that good. Same with Ross. We'll see how he can progress from year one to year two, but he's only, a, he, he did it all as a freshman. T Higgins didn't have that great of a freshman year. So Ross has a little bit of a, a head start, and I, I fully expect both of those guys to be entrenched in a, in a top five, if not top three, by yeah. when it's all said and done. Yeah. I think in three years, by the time Nagata graduates, uh, that top five, we just mentioned, you're probably going to see Mike Williams, Artavis Scott, and Hunter Rimpro move out of that top five. Sammy and Nuke will certainly still be in there. Whether they hold the one or two spot, that remains to be seen. But I can easily see Higgins, Ross, and Nagata replacing those uh, those three guys. And in, in, in defense of Mike Williams, I actually have him firmly right there in that top three. And I, I give him, for, for one, he he performed in, national champion, in the national championship game and right. helped Clemson bring it home. He was the best receiver in the country that one year. And with a neck injury and a sophomore year that was Deshaun Watson getting injured, Cole Stout playing injured, he, he didn't get to really fully shine for two years. And that's, that's why I give him a little bit of a bump there. So I want to shout out one honorable mention. We didn't consider him because he wasn't in the Dabo era. But uh, Aaron Kelly had a really great career at Clemson, put up phenomenal numbers. I, I think if I had had him, I actually went through and made a list of top 12 um, if I had to insert him in there, I would have him at probably seven behind Jacoby Ford. I had Jacoby Ford in my sixth spot. So high praise for him, obviously uh, not. Uh, I don't even know if he played in the NFL. I can't recall. Um, I think he was cut early on. not even sure if he was – I can't recall if he was drafted, but no notable NFL career from him, but a, a very good career at Clemson. Yeah, and I think maybe we even extend this to a top 10 next year because, because yeah. Amari Rogers is another player too. I mean, there's yeah. guys on the roster that are going to start jockeying uh, up and, and end up higher on the list. So it might be worthwhile to start doing that. 
Yeah, Will Sweeney. <laughs> Will Brown. <laughs> you know? Um, Brandon Spector. Sure. Supposed to be doing well. Um, the rich... We say it all the time. The rich keep getting richer. And, and Hunter Renfro is going to, here's what's going to happen. He's going to have a good, maybe great NFL career. He's going to be around for a while, making catches, landing on fantasy teams. And all of a sudden, we're going to be like, I'm pretty sure Hunter Renfro was the second best receiver in Clemson history. Same thing with Nuke. People forget, like, he was great. He wasn't as good as Sammy. Yeah. Hunter Renfro's numbers alone do not uh, anywhere come near to comparing to, to Sammy and Nuke. Um, you know, just because he had a specific role on the team, right? The possession receiver, third down receiver. Uh, but he was clutch when it mattered. And if we had to do a top 10 of clutch players, uh, clutch wide receivers, Hunter Riffra is going to be up there. You're going to see some things shift around. Yeah, and, and you mentioned numbers too. I, I do prioritize national championship performance, like high, high stakes games over, you know, what you do against Wake Forest in, you know, week three. All right, I know everybody's tired of hearing about it. Everybody's tired of hearing the excuses of Alabama fans and Paul Feinbaum, South Carolina fans about how weak our schedule is year in, year out in the ACC. It's very much true. It's a fact the ACC is down. Will they ever recover to being a, a semblance of their former self? Uh, I don't know. You know, Teams like Florida State are not going to stay down for long, but you look at the Louisvilles, you look at the Miami, you haven't seen anything stick. Look, if, if I think Virginia wins the ACC Coastal this year, there's seven teams in the Coastal. In the past seven years, each of those teams will have won one Coastal Division title. I mean, I guess you call that parody. Um, you might also call it um, path path pathetic. Yeah, who can rise out of the mediocrity is what, yeah. I, what I always say. Um, so it is a truth. It is a fact that Clemson has a weak schedule and that a lot of these ACC teams, if they faced up to an SEC schedule day in, day out, would have a much worse record. I think a few years ago when the ACC won all those bowl games and had a good record against the ACC, that was the anomaly. I think they've come back down to earth, regressed to the mean, and they, they are who they are. And, I, you know, I could really care less about that argument because I know how good Clemson is. The way the, Where it really matters to me is the entertainment value of games has gone way down. Very true. And what you saw from, we'll say, 15, our first national championship run, to really 17 with uh, Kelly Bryant at quarterback. That was, uh, that was more, that was not the ACC. That was a, a, an inflated rise of the ACC. And I think, like you said, we're back to who the ACC really is. Because if you think about it, you know, Larry Fedora at North Carolina had a nice little run with some really good players on offense. Uh, Mark. Rick had a little rise that was very short-lived at Miami. Uh, Bobby Petrino got a out of nowhere Heisman finalist. That's just you, that can't be replicated at Louisville. And then who am I missing here? Uh, NC State had some really good players. I think I think they're in good shape to be a, a good team. I don't know if it's sustainable, or I don't know if they're the sleeping giant that can really be a perennial top fifteen team. So it's just we're back to what the ACC is. And Florida State, meanwhile, just goes into the dumpster um will they will we see a resurgence there who, who knows yeah i think the question there is coaching do they really have a lot of faith in willie taggart um you i think yeah you didn't did you mention justin fuente dino babers right still a lot of really good coaches i mean th that are uh, bronco mendenhall uh, guys that are considered really good coaches um in the acc but as they start to find success I think it's be only a matter of time before you see them flip to, to the SEC and more you know generally successful school. Dino Babers for sure. I wonder if this is his last year at Syracuse, depending on how well it goes there. Um, but I just when I I think we just have to stop complaining about it because it is what it is, and I don't see it getting any better. I mean, when you look at ACC schools, there's only a handful that have a a long and legitimate college football pedigree. You talk about Clemson. Uh, Florida State, Miami, we'll see if they can bounce back. But, you know, teams like Virginia, North Carolina, you've got um, Mac Brown coming in to, to lead the Tar Heels this year, Syracuse, Pitt, like none of those teams have a really storied, um, have, have a storied college football history. And you're starting to see a lot of the talents in college football move into the South. And I'll remind you, most of the ACC teams are not really in the South that I'm talking about, which is kind of below the state of North Carolina and that boundary line. 
Exactly. And it, it just, it's, it's all geographic and, and, and it's all also the, the passion of certain fan bases over others. Um, Old Miss is, you know, as wishy-washy and not that good as they are is going to be twice or three times as passionate as Wake Forest or even North Carolina for that matter that care more about basketball. So it's, it's, it's your fan base and your, your commitment from administrators and the athletic department. And it's also, like you said, the talent. It's the best you can hope for at North Carolina is that if Clemson doesn't pick off your, your top, your five-star players, you know, the one or two that you have every year, then you, they can, you know, they can get the next guys down that Clemson didn't want. And you get a couple of three or four stars and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can actually build a, a winning program that way. It's just, it limits your upside a little bit. You don't expect for, again, don't expect for a lot of top 10 teams emerging in the ACC outside of Florida State for that reason. It's kind of like mid-majors in college basketball that go into the NCAA tournament with a senior-laden team, guys who have played together for four years, and they've been there. They've got talent. They're good. They're not as talented as the best of the best, um, but they have a random good year. Um, and then they take a few steps back and have to build that up again. I think that's more likely what you're going to see out of these ACC programs. Um, it doesn't seem to be a lot of, of enthusiasm within school administrations to, to play the facilities uh, race. Um, a lot of these are, you know, more academic leaning institutions. And there's a, you know, more like Vanderbilt really than anything else. Um, but there's nothing that we can do about that. And you really can't gauge also how good the ACC is based on Clemson playing those teams because Clemson is head and shoulders above everybody in the league. So you have to look at their non-conference schedule. Uh, the Power Five opponents that they pl play and bowl games, and it just hasn't been there for the ACC in the past several years, except for what, that one year a couple years ago. Yeah, again, it's, it was the outlier. It was the that was the exception, not the rule. And and to your point about the coaches, like if, if you do get someone that can build that solid infrastructure, it's just really tough to maintain, and it's really tough to I should say retain because I I think Dino Babers is probably going to be headed out soon. And then what what a like admirable. A job that he's done at Syracuse, bringing them from relative obscurity into what is, a, I would say, a perennial top 25 team. That is like best case scenario for Syracuse football. And that's where they're living right now. Yeah. Well, how often does Syracuse football start the season ranked 15th? <laughs> it's not going to happen. At least in recent memory, maybe when they had Donovan McNabb. This is more their, their golden age than Clemson's having a golden age. Like, <laughs> I mean... The golden age of Syracuse football, <laughs> starting the season ranked 15th. Um, but yeah, when so I went back and took a look over the last five years in the college football playoff um, and the final uh, top five a AP rankings, and I was actually surprised to find that the ACC was right up there with the Big 12 with five teams landing in the top five behind uh, the SEC that leads with six. Now, of course, all those are Clemson and Florida State for the ACC. Most of it is Alabama and Georgia for the SEC. Auburn, Auburn's been in there. Um, out of the Big 12, it's mostly Oklahoma. TCU had one good year. And then out of the Big 10, it's mainly Ohio State. So I broke out that further and really looked at teams that I would consider in the South. I consider a team like Oklahoma in the, in the South. Um, Southern teams had 16 top five finishes over the last five years with four national championships, everybody else, nine top five finishes, one national championship. So I think the geographic divide is a real thing. I mean, Pac-12 teams aren't winning like they used to. Big 10 teams aren't winning like they're used to. You have Ohio State come out and that's it. Um, so it really is, it's, it's migrating south. It is, and it, you know, we'll, I don't think we have all the data at this point, but there's some underlying trends and not just college football, but youth football that I think we probably haven't fully uh, come to terms with, with who is actually still playing football and, and the numbers of kids playing football. I don't know those, but I think there, there's probably something to that. Um, but, but to your point, the South is where the, the hotbed of talent is. And I, I think what's interesting is Michigan and Ohio State both have the brands, the name brands to, to be right there with Clemson and Alabama. This is Notre Dame. And, and, and yeah, Notre Dame's a good one to throw in. To me, their shortcoming, and not so much Ohio State, is, um, but more so Michigan and Notre Dame, their shortcoming is in talent acquisition, partly academics, but I think there's plenty of exceptions made there for the uh, you know, appropriately talented, talented football players. What's tough is for them to get into Georgia and to get into uh, Texas and Florida and recruit those areas. They have a really, I mean... Uh, Even with Jim Harbaugh just going down there and holding satellite camps. He did a good job. Like Jim Harbaugh's doing his best... Um, 
Iowa State did it really good. Yeah. On, did a really good job of getting into Georgia over the last few years. Will they be able, Will they be able to keep doing that now that Urban Meyer's gone and Ryan Day's in there? They're getting Georgia's backup quarterbacks. <laughs> Michigan's getting Ole Miss's quarterback. Well, is it, it Ole Miss or Mississippi State? Where was he? Shea Patterson. Uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss. So. Yeah. I just think if the strategy, if you if you want to be continue to be relevant as a top uh, top flight contender, you you got to be recruiting the South. And Michigan's done it; they just haven't done it well enough, and it's really hard. And that's why I think there's just a little bit of a talent gap. There have been between them and Ohio State, and certainly between Michigan and Clemson or Alabama. Well, not to mention that the the top two teams in college football right now, Alabama and Clemson, can now. Alabama's always been able to do this, at least in the past, uh, in the Nick Saban era, but now Clemson's able to do it and go go across the country and pick the best players out of every different region. I mean, Clemson goes into California and gets Joe Nagata and Frank Latson. Um, Alabama pulled Tua from Hawaii. Um, and so the footprint is more national now. I think a lot of that has to do with the development of the internet age and social media and stuff like that. There's just a further reach and kids now know what they're missing out on. Like, why would you want to spend a winter up North in Michigan when you can go spend it in the South? Um, there's just more to do there. Like it's go to the beach, you know, there's, unless you're really tied to your roots and you were a diehard fan growing up of, of a Michigan or a Ohio state or a Penn state or something like that. Also really good football teams. And they're going to be in the top 10 Penn state's had his, top 10 finishes, but there's just such a divide between, even when you look at the semifinal games, there's such a divide between one, two in college football, let alone the first and second teams in the, in the 10th ranked team. Exactly. And I, I think, I think people don't like that. I, I think, I think for the most part, fans, especially I, casual fans, well, even hardcore fans, if you're a Tennessee fan, for example, you want to know that one year that you can be, you know, stand in the top 15 and then you have a senior laden team and you jump up and you're a real contender. It's really hard to jump into that. What is top two, maybe a top three and four, and you you add in Georgia and Ohio State. It's really hard to crack that nut, and you're just not seeing the type of fluidity and, and upper mobility that I think you've seen in the past. You, and people generally like that more democratic or just a, a, a more dispersed talent and uh, and opportunities, and you're not seeing it. And good thing Clemson's where they are, and not a. Uh, from the outside looking in. Yeah, no, it's just as a college, casual college football fan, period, just not having, just having two teams that are dominant um, and just not being competitive on the biggest stage once you hit the semifinals. Or even like after you watch teams that are that good, I can watch a competitive game between uh, two top 25 teams, let's see teams ranked between 15 and 25, and I don't get the same entertainment value out of it, even if it's a competitive game, as I did, you know, 10 years ago, because the quality of play is just so obviously different. It really almost is like at times you're watching NFL caliber play versus just, you know, good college football. Right. And I, I think <laughs> a lot of reasons for that, but even like, uh, again, these lower tier SEC teams like, again, Tennessee and South Carolina, it's like they're seeing Alabama get not just a little bit good, but like really good. And and then their recruiting reflects that. It's just so hard. So then you have a lot of pressure and these fan bases are very demanding. You you don't see this, it's the same type of coaching continuity. Um, it really bodes well for a Clemson or, ba or Bama if you're one of the, the haves. If you're the have-nots, which is the majority of college football, really tough to crack in not to say it can't still be enjoyable in a great sport but as you said that the quality of the competition is has faded and totally did a great job with the sts guys and covering other contenders in college football i mean maybe maybe georgia has a really legit shot michigan maybe to make the playoff and in ohio state wildcard and and uh justin fields but aside from that group that that group of five teams including bama and clemson it's really hard to see anyone being a, a national championship contender. You, do you see anyone else? No, and I think just going off of recent history, it, it, again, when I look back over the last five years of the college football playoffs and the final AP polls, it's a lot of the same teams over and over again. Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, um, Stanford and Oregon, the Pac-12 has started to fade. Washington had its flash-in-the-pan moment, but... Um, and they'll still continue to be a solid football team, but they're not going to be in the upper, upper echelon of college football. The like, talent in those areas just isn't there. So I, I want to kind of bring this back and reflecting on the, the weakness of, of Clemson's schedule. As a Clemson fan, 
how do you defend your position when you've got Feinbaum, and I don't ever really suggest responding to Paul Feinbaum, um, but guys like Feinbaum, other national media pundits, um, a guy like Joel Klatt, who's always down on Clemson for some reason, and just SEC fans in general. Um, what's the argument? I mean, because, yes, we have to acknowledge the schedule is really weak. True, and it, as it relates to Feinbaum, I, I think it's a really perverse sense of fandom where you value your team, and Clemson in this case, um, through the lens of what ESPN says about them, or an ESPN commentator, hot take guy. By the way, have you not noticed what's going on in ESPN? It's it's all hot takes and guys trying to drum up controversy. So if you have this like old school, I used to watch Sports Center and I, I used to watch Clemson and I see them, you know, on the tube and they're getting like game day hype. And that's how like that's my sense of pride with my team. It's like, man, you're you're missing out on uh, on the fun because that that's not what it's about. Like enjoy, like who cares what Feinbaum says? Yeah, well, and you notice all these pundits, they're, they're quick to point out when they throw out these Icelanders hot takes, they're quick to point out when they're right. They give you the stats on that, but they'll never go back and tell you about the times they're wrong, which is more often than not. Right, and I, I, I really do think, I mean, Clemson fans need to quit worrying about what people are saying about them and, and defining like how you feel inside about your team based off of that and just enjoy what the heck's going on. Yeah, just you know, flash, flash some rings. Um, the last game of the season and the one that tells all. So don't. there's no need to defend ourselves so early on in the season. Let the season play out. People can talk down about our schedule and say that that gives us a leg up or whatever. Just go about your business, um, eye straight forward, and, and, and take care of things and win football games. And at the end of the year, when you're beating Alabama by four touchdowns, I, I think that says it all. Exactly. Yeah, just, just do it on the field. Who cares? Who cares about everything else? And I mean, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we, I got to talk to Rashard Hall at the alumni function the other day and like the things that they do as part of the Paul journey. It's like, there's a lot to take pride in uh, about what Dabo's doing outside of football. It's like, don't get caught up in what's going on uh, at ESPN. And and to your point though, the one thing that is, there is a downside is just because you do play Louisville every now and then and the team is just a dumpster fire and you beat them 70 to nothing. It just kind of takes away. You'd like to see a little bit more uh, competition in there. Yeah, and so that's really my main takeaway is more than anything, I'm just a little bit disappointed games aren't as competitive. That being said, it has been nice to see us get so many guys on the field because it really gives you uh, more of a familiarity with the roster. Um, And it's exciting to see those young guys get in and play. So that has been a benefit to the excitement of of Clemson football. You know, you get to see Lynn J. Dixon come out, come in last year and just run all over tired defenses. You know, that's exciting watching that kid play. Um, does he get that on other teams, or if the con- competition's tougher, maybe not? Um, and we'll like like we talked about earlier, we'll see this year on the defense if they maintain that strategy of rolling guys in and out, or if they do have to stick with their their first and second string guys just to get them experience this year. Um, you know, teams defensively against us, I don't I don't think are going to be competitive against us this year with our offense, but there could be some offenses that that give us a tough time. Yeah, well, I think A and M and Syracuse. I, I re- I'm looking at both of those games. I, I don't. I don't think we've come to terms with how. I, I think we we were in again Alabama mindset. Like that's who we are, and we're just gonna beat everybody. If they score fifty, we'll score sixty. And I just don't see it. I think those are two legitimate threats to an unproven uh, and inexperienced defense and an offense that's still gonna. I mean, like you said, there's gonna be some adjustments uh, from the coaches. So I think that those are the two games. Circle them and. Like you lose one of those, like it might, it might be a completely different year. Well, fortunately, I think Clemson gets the benefit of the doubt if you lose an early early season game at this point and go and run the table. Yeah, it was maybe a little shaky a couple of years ago. It was like, oh, does Clemson deserve to be in if they lose a game? Um, and we have lost games in the past, obviously. Last year was the first undefeated season. Um, well, first 15-0 season. Uh, so we'll see. I Again, I still think Trevor Lawrence goes uh, – 45 and 0 uh, in his Clemson career being on the team but you know we'll, we'll see how it shakes out you know obviously we have to see a lot of these teams play this year before we really have a handle on how good they are does Florida State return to prominence Boston College always gives you a tough game um, and then there's you know at South Carolina at the end of the year you know they put up how many ever on us Jake Bentley threw all over us last year in Death Valley it's a much harder game when you go to Columbia and play Right. It would be, I mean, you saw what he did, like you said last year. You'd be fooling yourself to not think that Jake Bentley is, is going to be ready for that game. And the talent level's not there, but it'll be it'll be a, a test, to say the least. And then 
I mean, this is going to be a great year of college football all around. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. Really excited. Um, other teams, you get to watch Alabama, how are they going to bounce back? Is Tua, is he going to be ready? Um, I think Georgia is going to be right there with Alabama. They could they could overthrow them in the SEC. Jake Fromm's a, probably his last year as a junior. Their, their roster is really solid, I think, from top to bottom. And then, uh, you know, Michigan. We talked about Michigan and Shea Patterson getting a new OC. Ohio State, Justin Fields is a wild card. Um, Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts. With Jalen Hurts. That's going to be so interesting. There's just so many, many storylines. Kelly Bryant at Missouri. Yeah, uh, the former former Clemson guys, Kelly Bryant and and Hunter Johnson. So there, there's a lot to be excited about just as a, as a fan, a non-Clemson fan. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up Hunter Johnson um, because uh, this is the first year we're really going to uh, get to see him play. He had to sit out last year um, after transferring. So, yeah, it's another guy you tend to forget about. But, you know, I'm pulling for guys like Hunter Johnson and Kelly Bryant for sure, especially when um, – um, Kelly Bryant and the Missouri Tigers are taking on South Carolina. Um, I, I imagine there, there may be a lot, uh, there may be a, a lot of Clemson flan- fans pulling harder for the Missouri Tigers that day than Missouri Tiger fans themselves. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be just uh, you know that sort of rivalry aside. Watching Kelly Bryant to see what see how he'll perform. It, it, I just I'm really, I'm excited to watch him. I hope he does well. And yeah, Hunter Johnson. I, is he going to be like an NFL caliber player? Like, is he going to be up there in mock drafts? I, I think he's potentially got that upside. I don't know, you know, who knows, but he's got the upside. He's a pretty dude. All-American looking dude, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here as uh, we digress. Um, before we go, a little PSA here is obviously with the ACC Network, a lot of people worry they're not going to be able to see any Clemson games this year. Well, Clemson's likely going to be on major networks all year long, so that's not going to be an issue. I also imagine that most cable providers end up picking it up. Uh, but if not, cut cable. Go to YouTube TV or something like that. YouTube TV is going to have all the channels you want. It has all the local channels. They have the ACC network. You're going to be paying less. Just get a lower-level internet plan from your from your provider. Don't let them oversell you on the speed. Listen, it's the 21st century. You don't need to be plugging the cable into the wall anymore. Save some money. And just spend, enter, it, yeah, spend it on Clemson gear. Enter promo code podcast at the time of sign up for a 5% discount. That's, I'm kidding. I wish they would pay us, but they don't. We tried that before, and I, apparently our promo code didn't work with uh, whatever, Razor Gator, was it? What, what the hell, tickets, ticket something? Sure. Yeah. We'll call it Razor Gator, yeah. Razor Gator. Uh, anyway, so that wraps it up for the show. Again, appreciate everybody listening. Feel free to reach out to us, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com, at ClemsonPodcast on Facebook and Twitter. In the coming weeks, we're going to be uh, we're getting ready for this football season, T-minus 10 days. So we'll do a little season preview. We'll see if we fit in some offensive, defensive previews in that time, although we've talked a good bit about them in the last couple weeks. But, man, it's all ramping up for that Georgia Tech game, and uh, I know you're all ready, ready to spot the damn ball. So until next time, and as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.